Well, good morning, Woodmont Baptist Church. What an honor it is to be with you on this Lord's Day. Uh, our, our home is just about two blocks away, so it is a, a great commute to make this morning as I made my way here. But you know, in, in all seriousness, it really matters to me that Woodmont Baptist Church is here. You make an incredible difference in our community and our prayers continue to be with you as you minister faithfully the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I can't say enough good things about your pastor. I absolutely love Nathan Parker. He was a teenager at First Baptist Nashville when I was called to be his pastor. I'm not gonna tell you any of those stories because he'll have the last word if I do. But I, I want you to know that I have watched him grow in the Lord. I've watched him mature. It was a joy to see him at uh, Beeson Divinity School uh, as he was thriving there. And we attempted to bring him to Nashville to be our student pastor at one point. And the Lord wasn't in that at that particular time. And I would say it's providential because he might not be your pastor today if that had been the case. So uh, an amen to that. And just uh, again, thank you for the privilege of being with you this morning. I hope you have your Bibles. And if so, that you'll join me as we look together at the 13th chapter of Mark's gospel. Mark chapter 13 has been called the little apocalypse by Bible scholars and others who study that text because it's a portion of the scripture where Jesus talks about end times. I don't know about you, but over the last two weeks, particularly, as I have listened, as you have, to the afternoon news to try to get updates about what's taking place in our world, uh, I was somewhat surprised to hear a reference to Armageddon uh, in our national news. I didn't know that uh, all of our newscasters would uh, understand biblical terminology that way. I don't make that lightly, but we do live in very much a post-Christian world. And, and, and as I heard those references in the afternoon news in reference to the bombing in Ukraine, uh, I couldn't help but think about this text of Scripture. So this morning, I want to read this. I'll make a few comments as I go. My sermon outlines are very predictable, very simple. I tell you what the Scripture text is going to be. Uh, I read it. I make some observations about the text. And then my attempt is to give you some application some things to think about, some things to take home with you. And so uh, as we look at our text this morning, uh, you can follow along as uh, you have either your Bible or looking at the screens beside me. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, what wonderful stones and wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? Now, what we have taking place here 
is the inner core. These are the uh, leading students in the disciples group, Andrew, James, Peter, John, and they come to Jesus for a lesson in what scholars would call eschatology. Eschatology is the study of end times or the study of last things. And so as these disciples are asking Jesus now about uh, why he made the comments that he made, he begins to unfold uh, teachings that are very significant to us as we think about the end times. Verse 5, and Jesus began to say to them, see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and there will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to the councils and you will be beaten in the synagogues and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. Now listen, without any doubt at all, I believe that Jesus is addressing these disciples with this message. This pertains specifically to them. They are going to be the ones standing in synagogues. You and I don't have that privilege. They're going to be the ones that will stand before kings and councils and as they give their testimony, even on the day of Pentecost, as the gospel is proclaimed there in Jerusalem and carried back to every nation imaginable, we see some of this prophecy, some of these words of Jesus coming to pass. Verse 11, and when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you were to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Let me interject here that as a follower of Jesus Christ, someone who walks with the Holy Spirit, somebody who reads their Bible and prays and participates in the life of God's people through the church, this is speaking to us. We're going to have the opportunity to give testimony, to give witness. We won't always know what it is that we're supposed to say in advance, but God's Holy Spirit is faithful and he will not abandon you. He will not leave you. You will know what to say in those times. Look at verse 12. Brother will deliver brother over to death and the father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. I can't read that without thinking about the great division that we are experiencing even in our day. 
I've never known a time when there's been so many different opinions and different ways of uh, interpreting things and, uh, and, and you get into all the politics, you get into all the stuff that's going on in our society. We live in a day just like what Jesus is describing here. He says, you'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And then if anyone, I'm down in verse 21, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard, I've told you all things beforehand. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Look at verse 32. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. Let me ask you to think with me about what Jesus is saying. He has this perfect setup. The question comes to him by the disciples, when will these things take place? And now let's see what we can observe from this text. And the first observation I would make is this, that curiosity about the end times is common. It's natural. It's normal to think about what it's going to be like at the very end of time. For Jesus addressing these disciples, if they're going to come to him with that kind of question, then it is okay for you and me to have questions, to read, to study, to, to think through these things. I think that that's important. So curiosity about the end time it's common. It's normal. It, it, it's, it's something that you and I do. But let's look at these other blanks that I've got on the screen for you. Jesus says in verse 5, don't be led astray. He says in verse 7, don't be alarmed. In verse 11, don't be anxious. In verse 21, as we read through that, we understand Jesus' message, don't be gullible. Don't fall for everything that people are going to be saying uh, about these end times and about your times that you live in. And number six, looking at verse 33, Jesus says, and don't fall asleep. Now, a couple of things here. We see some extremes there are people who get all worked up and get excited about the end times and they've got all the charts and all the maps and they know exactly how it's all going to end up and they're going to tell you that. 
And then you've got another extreme where people are just kind of shrugging their shoulders and saying, I don't know. I don't know how it's going to work out. But somewhere in the middle is where we need to be as God's people. We need to be alert, but, but certainly not worried and not anxious and not worked up to the point that, that we scare people away uh, from hearing the gospel. And so go back to that definition of eschatology. It is the study of end times or last things, but a better definition may be that the eschatol that eschatology, excuse me, is the study of hope in the resurrected living Jesus Christ who is coming again. It's our hope. It's it's what drives us. It's what it's what motivates us as God's people. It's having an incredible hope that Jesus, who is alive, who died for our sin to satisfy the righteous wrath of God, that that same Jesus was resurrected from the grave by God, and that that same Jesus, now seated at the right hand of God, is coming back for his people. Now, there are two kinds of skills that we all need as we think about these end times. And one is that we need to have good coping skills. But for the Christian, it even goes beyond that. We have good hoping skills as well. Good coping skills means that uh, we think through things logically. We, we, we try to figure out the best way to take care of ourselves. We, we diet, we exercise, we, we try to handle the stress when stressful times come. But there's also some hoping skills. And we remember who Jesus is and we remember what Jesus has done. And we give testimony to our faith in Christ when we out hope our troubles. The Christian expects trouble, but the Christian expects Christ even more. I love what, um, what Evan said this morning as he was giving us the prayer update for one of your members who has passed away with cancer. Cancer does not have the last word, does it? Jesus does. And addiction doesn't have the last word. Jesus does. And your families are probably going to be touched by either cancer or addiction somewhere in the journey of life. It's almost inevitable. And you're going to be tempted to think that cancer or addiction are strong enough to undo you and to wear you out and to exhaust you and take you down to the bare bones of your life. And it might. But Christ still has the last word. COVID-19 does not have the last, the last word. Poverty, job loss, inflation, recession, depression, none of these have the last word. Christ does. Dementia does not have the last word. And war does not have the last word. Gas prices do not have the last word. When John wrote the book of Revelation, he identified Christ as the Alpha and the Omega, 
What did that mean for John? And what did that mean for his first audience as he was writing that little letter from Patmos? Well, it meant that Caesar doesn't have the last word, but Jesus Christ does. Hitler didn't. Mussolini didn't. Stalin didn't. Putin doesn't. Jesus Christ has the last word. Now, I think about 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, one of my favorite passages of Scripture as, as the aged uh, Apostle Paul is writing to his mentorand Timothy, trying to encourage him. And I love these words that he says to him because they are very, very similar words in nature to what Jesus has said to his disciples here in this eschatological discussion. Paul knows that at any moment, there's going to be the rattle of a, a key and the lock of his prison, and that he's going to be escorted out to his execution. He's urged Timothy to please come, uh, if, if at all possible, so that he can see him one last time. But Paul knows when he writes uh, this letter called 2 Timothy, that he might not have that opportunity. And what does he say in verse 5? As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. So the three hoping skills that we need to practice, that we can draw from this passage as well as others, uh, is first of all, to focus our attention on Christ. When the disciples came out of the temple and said, uh, look at these great stones, their attention was on the wrong thing. They thought these buildings, these impressive buildings would be there forever. But what Jesus says to them basically is, no, you need to keep your attention on me, not the stones. And you and I need to keep our attention not on our accomplishments, no matter how great they are. We don't need to keep our attention on the bad things in life, no matter how bad they are. A few years ago, I tried to pick up bicycle riding again as one of my hobbies. And uh, one of the things that I had to be reminded of was that if you are looking at the pothole, your chances of hitting the pothole are greater. And so be careful what it is you're looking at. And Jesus would say, don't, don't look at the stones here. And he would later say to these same disciples, and don't look at the bad things that are going on around you, but instead keep your focus on me. A second hoping skill is to abide in Christ. When Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches, he who abides in me and I in him, the same will bring forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And so our abiding is, is our, our devotional life, our quiet time. It's our, it's our reading of God's word in the private moments of our life, not just in a Sunday school class. It's, it's the hours that you and I spend on our knees in prayer those are our times and our seasons that, that begin that sense of abiding in Christ. It's practicing some of the other disciplines. It's, it's being kinder than you have to be. It's being gracious to people. It's investing in missions. 
We do those things as we abide in Christ. And then third, be alert. But as Jesus said, don't be alarmed. Pay attention. Look at what's going on around you. Be aware, but don't let it undo you. Don't let it shock you. Don't let it, don't let it freeze you. What do people do who have hope? Well, they send missionaries. So thankful to see Andy Sherson on today's video. He also was a part of Nathan's youth group at one point uh, at First Nashville. And, and to see how your church is investing in his mission, this is what people who have hope do. They invest in missions. They start churches. They build recovery centers. One of the things that our church uh, did just before I retired was, was we, we built a new building downtown, and in that building, we have a coffee shop. And I want you to know, it's the best coffee in Nashville. You need to go down there and have a cup of coffee at Humphrey Street Coffee Roasters. And not only does the coffee taste great, but every time you buy a cup of coffee, you're helping a child who grew up in some of the poorest neighborhoods in Nashville have hope for their future. Uh, Humphrey Street partners with one of our local housing projects. They hire young people from that housing community to work in their coffee shop. They give them job skills. They, they give them after-school mentoring for their homework assignments. If, if their grades are such and they complete the programs that are designed there, these kids have scholarship money to go to college. That's what people who have hope do. We've read the last chapter of the book. We know how it ends. And we are our people of hope. And that's why Jesus says uh, in Mark's gospel, and that's why Paul says to Timothy, but you, or as for you. And so in these last moments, I want to talk about what it means to be an as for you kind of follower of Jesus Christ. First of all, you can be an as for you person by, by simply keeping calm when everybody else about you is losing their head, the, the child of God who is content, who is faithful, who is fed by God's word, who is walking in the spirit, has the ability to somehow be a calming presence in the midst of all of those distractions. Times of suffering often leave us confused, and sometimes we might even look for false shepherds, but that's where Jesus says, be calm. Don't be anxious. Take a deep breath. Here's the second thing. Expect hard times personally and globally. Most of us are not surprised to see what takes place on the national scale in our news every day. It breaks our heart, but it really doesn't take us by surprise. And most of us have come to understand that life is going to bring difficulties with it. Jesus says simply, don't be alarmed. Speak to the importance of effectively handling your fear as well as the fear you see in others. Times of fear and suffering sometimes freeze us up and, and sometimes uh, make us in such a way that we are not able to respond to the good things of the gospel and we don't share our witness, I want to encourage you, uh, above all today, expect these hard times in your life 
but recognize that Christ is still in control. Years ago, um, in the little church that I grew up in, about, about uh, once a month on a Sunday night, the ministry music would say, well, we're going to do our favorite hymns. And almost everyone would look at my dad, who was sitting on the fifth pew on the right-hand side where our family always sat on, on Sundays, uh, because my dad was going to say 475. And 475 in the old hymnal was Victory in Jesus. And on that particular night, the ministry music said something a little bit different than he normally did. He said, I want you to tell us what your favorite hymn is, but then I want you to tell us why. I was a high school student, and I'll never forget my dad standing up after saying 475, and then he went through a story that went something like this. He survived the depression because he was born uh, prior to that horrific time in our nation's history, and his dad ran a grocery store, and they fed almost everybody in the community. But then my dad got polio, and my dad understood what a quarantine really was in his day and time uh, because nobody could come to the home. There was a yellow sign there saying, uh, quarantined. And then my dad would go on to, to get married and, and have three children, but his first wife died, leaving him with three very young children at home. My older brother was just two years old when he lost his mother. And shortly after that, my dad was in a horrific automobile accident where almost every bone from his hips down were crushed. The doctor in the ER came in and said, there's nothing we can do for this man. Keep him comfortable until he passes. And my dad heard that and somehow had the strength to raise himself up on the gurney and say, my children at home have just lost their mother. They're not going to lose their dad. He had to learn to walk again because of the extent of his injuries. And in the process of doing that, student nurses got to know his story. And they thought about their nursing instructor who had never been married. And those student nurses played matchmaker. My dad married again. And I came along and my younger brother came along. And my dad told that story that night, and he says, you know, there are always going to be tough times. There's always going to be times of suffering. But in Jesus Christ, we have the victory. And we do. Well, the third thing I would say is in everything you do, make the message of Christ clear to others. In times of loss and great upheaval and these things that are taking place in our world today, uh, it is an important, important thing for you and me to, to, to put our hands around that folks are more curious about the gospel than perhaps they've ever been before. And you and I will have the opportunity to share Jesus in a way that makes a difference if we'll just do that. Number four, be faithful to who God has called you to be and to what God has called you to do. He's called you to be here at Woodmont Baptist to make a difference in this, in this part of our city, to, to influence your neighbors, to nudge people closer to Christ because you demonstrate the gospel 
Be faithful to who God has called you to be and, and what God has called you to do. And finally, watch, be alert, because you don't know when that time is coming. I'm going to close this morning by, by offering a prayer. You're going to see this prayer on the screens. I invite you to make this your prayer with me today. Sweet little lady in my church uh, for the last several years has, has closed every conversation with me with these words. I'm listening for the trumpets. And you and I need to be tuning our hearts to listen to those trumpets. Let's pray. God, it's easy to look at our accomplishments and find our confidence there. And it's just as easy to look at those things that alarm us and cause anxiety and find ourselves frozen in fear. Thank you for providing a more excellent way by the hope which serves as an anchor for our souls. When we're tempted to be overwhelmed, please remind us of your promised presence, your sufficient grace, and the hope that is ours in the living Lord Jesus who is coming again. Tune our hearts to listen for the trumpets. In Jesus' name, amen.